From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 393. Today's show is brought to you by Bombus, Squarespace, Fitbod, and Memberful. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. Jason has a sore throat today. I do. So we're just going to get that out of the way uh, up front. Jason is not going to sound his usual wonderful self. Yeah. Is it allergies? Is it something else? Uh, I The one thing I could take a test for came back negative. So Hooray. whatever it is, this is what you're getting. I have lots of tea. Perfect. My apologies for my voice. Jason loves getting a sore throat because it means he can have even more tea than usual and nobody can tell him I'm having like a, I have a whole pot of tea here <laughs> with me right now. I, I have a cup, I have a mug, and then I have a thermos full of the rest of the pot. Well, I have a I have a snow talk question. It's going to make you feel better because you get sorry, Mike. I got to go to the bathroom now. E-readers <laughs> and Ryan wants to know. <laughs> I know you prefer e-readers that have physical buttons for page turning. Which side of the e-reader do you prefer <laughs> the buttons to be on, and which button out of the top or bottom buttons is set for next page and previous page? Okay, Ryan. Let me blow your mind. Uh oh. E-readers, mo- modern e-readers. If you turn it upside down. The whole thing flips over. Mm-hmm. So it's on whichever side you want them to be. Yeah, but which side do you want? Like, so when you, you know, you don't just, I'm sure I, you're, you're, a, you're a man of opinions. You don't just have it randomly all over the place, surely. Well, I, but, but the truth is if I'm reading somewhere, so I think the right side is I'm more comfortable, mm-hmm. but after a while, you know, you kind of want to mix it up and then you go to the left side and I just oh. flip it over. Like if I'm if I get a little uh, a little tired, a little uncomfortable over here on the with my right arm, I'll just uh, go over to the left. If you hold it with the that. left hand, does it feel like somebody else is reading to you? <laughs> no, it does not. Okay, it's just the same. It's just like a just like a paperback book. You might adjust your grip, and in, in this case, you flip it over so that the buttons go on your thumb. And um, I have the bottom button set for next page. Because the way I hold it, the grip mm. that I use, I'm gripping the bottom of the e-reader with my thumb mm-hmm. on the bottom button. And since the bottom button is what I'm primarily using, because I I, I seldom read books backward. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you, you need to turn the page back, but I, I, I seldom do that. So what I want is hold in my right hand primarily, thumb on button, and then I click the button without moving my thumb. I just you know squeeze a little and click the button. And uh, and I will point out that all these modern e-readers, Kobo and Kindle, let you set which button does which. Yep. Let you lock orientation if you want to. All of those things are options, but that's how I prefer it. Um, is more right than left, and bottom button is forward. If you'd like to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. What do you want to know? Let us know. Ooh. I, I uh, did you like that? It was a new little. That was intriguing. Just threw that oh, in there. I don't really know where it know. came from. Uh, I have a couple of uh, Mark Gurman ra- rumor roundup things for you. Uh, Mark, oh, good. This some stuff published to Bloomberg. Some stuff in his newsletter. Uh, it's all about kind of future product releases. Uh, Mark is reporting that Apple is currently targeting March the eighth for their next event. Uh, this event obviously will be a virtual event and they're going to be bringing people back together for this one. The current plans indicate that the event will focus on an iPhone SE 3 and an updated iPad Air. This is what Mark knows about. Uh, if this is all it was, this is not worth it. Um, and press releases would 100% do the job, right? I I kind of agree, but I wonder if our standards are too high in this era where Apple does video events. You know, I feel like they've always 
even like so the one I can think of with this is when they had like I think it was they did the purple iPhone and and right. an iPad, maybe an Apple Watch, but like that was enough. I feel like an iPhone SE three and a new base uh, sorry, and a new iPad Air, I feel like it needs like one extra one thing. One more thing. I wasn't gonna say one more. I agree. <laughs> one oh. extra thing. And this is I why agree. additionally Mark has suggested that a new Mac could be announced at this event as well, but there seems to be uh, some chopping and changing about the timing of that from Apple's side. Mm-hmm. I think the possibilities there for the Mac are uh, our our hope is that it's the iMac Pro. Yes. Um, my guess is that if it's not that, it's what we talked about, which is upgrade the Mac Mini with the M1 Pro mm-hmm. and Max chips. Um, potentially even do that for the iMac, the smaller iMac. Um, but they could do that. They could do a little chip bump because they've got those faster M1s now. Mm-hmm. the pro and the max mm-hmm. um but that we would really 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 like it please if you could apple <laughs> do a new imac now i think there has please. to be one like it can't just be the for me i just feel like those two things it's like not enough a new iphone a new ipad air or a new iphone a new ipad and a new mac are you getting it yet it's yeah. three products and but i think that would video. work <laughs> even if those three products didn't change really that much but they've all just got some important changes to them plus they could yeah. talk about i don't know some software stuff or whatever you know like that it's still, that would it's do still it not i mean it's still not a lot but i think that was my point was you the bar is lower if you're not inviting people definitely it, you could do an hour video it's not a major, major announcement, but it's better than a press release, I think. It, it would be the judgment of Apple. Like, it's enough to get people's attention for an hour to roll out these products. They do risk making their products, uh, their product events, less essential if they do one that's minor. That That's, I think, one of the untold lessons of Steve Jobs when he came back is, I think Steve Jobs... Um, first thing he did was basically say, we're not going to call people down for an event if yep. it isn't worth it. Because the old Apple before Jobs, right before Jobs got, got there, famously, for me, at least as somebody who was covering Apple, they they invited us down all the time for things that were secret, super secret. And you get there and it's nothing. It's just nothing interesting. And I I, I think that they they need to walk that line, right? They the, the bar is lower than it used to be, but don't take it down too low where it's a kind of a nothing and everybody shrugs <laughs> at it. Because the last thing you want to do is get people shrugging at Apple announcing that they're doing a live event, right? Because like, right, that, that's it, isn't it? it it's not yeah. about bringing people in. It's that they want people to come and watch. And and if if you risk you risk their attention, you've got their attention now. And, and if you start making these events not interesting, you risk losing some of that attention. And it, it's a real asset of Apple that you don't want to give away. Because they'll be doing another one three months later, right, WWDC. And so exactly. you don't want people to say like, ah, oh, watch that last one. It was rubbish. Which is why I look at this and I think maybe if it's just an iPad Air, because the iPad Air already has the iPad Pro styling, so it really is going to be like an M1 iPad Air. And the iPhone SE, I mean, yeah, they can be like, oh, 5G, and here's here's a guy from T-Mobile, and yay, right? They can do that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But again, not super exciting. Um What's the what's the third thing? What's the thing that wraps up the event? And uh, uh, iMac Pro would do it, but um, I don't know. I don't. Mark Gurman seems to not know. What's fascinating about Mark Gurman's reporting on this, since we pour over his Sunday morning emails um, like we do, um, is he doesn't seem to have a lot of vision into what's going on with the iMac, and I think that's fascinating. Uh, Mark did report that Apple is planning on releasing four M2 Macs later on this year. 
the expectation is a MacBook Air, an updated MacBook Air with a new design. So like mm-hmm. the first kind of Apple Silicon MacBook Air, as it were, um, as in like, you know, imagined yeah. for. Right, because the, the M1 MacBook Air looks like the, the classic one. MacBook mm-hmm. Air going back to 2010. <laughs> this will, rumored, is going to be the, you know, designed externally and yep. internally for Apple Silicon. Uh, a new base level Mac Mini to replace the one that currently has an M1 chip. Uh, an iMac to put new chips in the current iMacs. Right. So M2 24-inch iMac, which mm-hmm. is logical, but um, haven't. I don't think I'd seen that one actually reported before, but makes sense. And a new 13-inch MacBook Pro. So mm-hmm. new kind of entry-level MacBook Pro. Mark expects that Apple will remove the touch bar from the MacBook Pro, but it will not feature a ProMotion or HDR display. I wonder right. if I wonder about the design of that product, honestly. Like and what what that's gonna be. I'm a little bit intrigued about that one. Yeah, I, I wonder if it really is just do the minimum to keep the price down to have the base model. I think you're right. And just keep oh. it, right? Just yeah. so it's cheaper and it will look like the one basically my thinking is it will look just like the the current one, right? The one that had the M one chip in it or has right. the M one chip in it. But they removed the touch bar so they're kind of bringing back the escape version and keep in mind that the um the macbook air being redesigned will probably push the macbook air away from the macbook pro a little bit more because one of the problems with that 13 inch macbook pro is differentiation with the macbook air and they're Mm -hmm. not very differentiated now but they may become more differentiated um in design because the the air is inheriting or is oh, not inheriting the old design. When they mm-hmm. redesign the MacBook Air, they're going to keep the old one, aren't they? I would not be surprised. I think they, they kept will. The old they'll one. keep the old one even keep them for a little bit because you know it's going to be. Well, not no, but I would expect the new one might be a little bit more expensive. Yeah, make that make that Air an eight ninety nine M one, and then have the new one be a ten forty nine or te, or, yeah. or ten ninety nine yeah. M two. Yeah, I'd, I'm surprised, honestly. Mm, am I about the iMac? I'm trying to think. Like, what do I think about that? So that would be what? Maybe 18 months? Yeah. Yeah, I a year and a know. half-ish. I'm not sure how I feel about Mac's, Mac processors being updated so frequently again. It, I kind right. of have good and bad feelings about it. Well, what's weird is the M2 is based on the A15, so we're going to get in a position here where M2 Macs are going to be shipping and the A16 is going to be shipping. And maybe that's just how it's going to go from now on. But there's a question of like the cadence and do the Mac chips pick up the new cores from the iPhone chips every year or not? But because Apple makes these chips or designs these chips and has Taiwan Semiconductor make them, it it does allow Apple to do. This may be what happens is Apple updates Macs all the time with whatever their new chip is and then does the bigger spec changes from time to time but right like if you've got if you made the m1 and now you have the m2 in volume why would you not cut the imac over to or all of those computers over to the m2 as soon as you can because it's it's you're it's better (laughs) (laughs) and it's probably not a huge change to the internals of that because remember you're designing the whole thing now including the chip yeah i I just uh, my concern and it's not really something for me to to worry about specifically is like if this is just going to happen this is just going to be the churn right that there will be they'll just keep doing it over and over and over again maybe that's not a problem i don't know but it's just there's something about it where it's like 
is it going to realistically be every calendar year at some point it will get the new one? Because if they put the M1 in it, then the M2 in it, they're going to put the M3 and then the M4. Because if you skip it, then yeah. what? You know what I mean? And it's like, is that going to be the plan now? Like that there will be a new processor which is incrementally better than the previous one every calendar year for every Mac? Or every 18 months? I think maybe. I think maybe now that Apple controls the processor thing. And I think the challenge is going to be how we look at this because when Apple was updating things less often, um, it took on more weight. And it it may be now that, I mean, think about the iPad, right? Like mm-hmm. iPad Pro has gotten three updates in its current look and feel. And some of them, you know, the processor updates, it was like, from the X to the Z and then to the M1. And like there have been some other things, the 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 port changed, the screen on the big model changed, but you could look at that and say not a lot changed except they updated the chip on the inside. So, you know, I I think that could happen. I think that we could get in a, a situation where every year or year and a half there are new Mac models with new yeah. chips in them. Yeah. Separate from every and maybe minor updates, kind of like an iPhone or iPad s- schedule, right? Where it's like, they're not that different. This year's iMac is different from that last year's iMac, but only a little bit. Because basically it's the same. And then every so often there's a big change. I think that I think that's probably what Apple's goal is, is to, is to be able to swap in the new tech fairly easily like they do with the iPhone and iPad. Um, and then just every few years do a more dramatic Uh, revision in terms of specs this episode is brought to you in part by our friends over memberful we love memberful here at relay fm we use memberful to power our uh, membership program memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web to help you generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream we chose Memberful for the uh, Real FM membership program because it's so simple to use. It's so awesome. They have a bunch of features that are really important to us, like custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, and importantly, most importantly, the ability to do private podcasts. So we're able to give Memberful a feed, which we can generate from our own system, which is really great, so we can build it into the tools that we already have. And then every member gets their own feed when they pay they get that you know they continue to keep getting the content but if they cancel the the feed shuts off and that's really helpful for us it was that last piece that we needed to really make our new stuff work perfectly maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income memberful makes it incredibly easy to diversify that income with everything that you need to run a membership program of your own Memberful make it super easy to generate the extra revenue stream, deliver bonus content to your members, which could now also be uh, a newsletter. So this is something that Memberful have recently integrated is the ability to have paid email newsletters going straight through their platform without the need to connect to a third-party email provider. You can even publish your paid newsletter content to a Memberful hosted members-only website. This is a great way to build an ar- like an archive of all the previously sent uh, email messages. There's no additional fee when signed up for Memberful's pro or premium plans. So again, we were able to switch our um, members' 
newsletter straight over to Memberful when they integrated this uh, because we were already on that plan. And now we no longer need to pay for a third party, which is awesome. You're going to save money compared to other popular hosted newsletter platforms. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. Get started for free at memberful.com slash upgrade of no credit card required. That is memberful.com slash upgrade. Go there now. Check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. I did not want to have to talk about this again. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it either, but I think we have to at least. Oh, we have to. But this is, uh, we're going back, me and you, Jason, we're going back to the Netherlands. Back together. to the Netherlands. Uh, and I want to just send a message out there to explain what goes on when a, when a, uh, a citizen of the Netherlands is interested in a different citizen of the Netherlands. They might use some sort of an app to connect and and like do we share interests and 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 are you somebody that I might want to meet is in, this like you know, by the birds the, and the bees uh, or something by the Prinsengracht in Amsterdam one evening uh-huh. and we could go for a bike ride because there are lots of bikes in mm-hmm. Amsterdam mm-hmm. and uh anyway so when two Dutch people love each other very much mm-hmm. uh they've they probably used a, a Dutch dating app uh-huh all right <laughs> That's all I so got. I'm out <laughs> Apple has published. This, all the fun stuff's over. Now we get into the... the yeah, no, I was sorry. That was your entertainment part. <laughs> Jason did a good job for you all. Now I'm here to... I'm like the Krampus. Yeah, so. <laughs> the Krampus of Dutch dating. Uh-huh. That's you. That's, That's you. You're the Grinch well, really? of romance in the Netherlands. That's you, Mike Hurley. You. I think Apple's that. Okay. I'm just telling the fair, story, fair. you know? I'm, I'm like the representative here. So Apple has published more details for the dating apps in the Netherlands stuff. <laughs> so they've actually now kind of gone through the financial part of it, which is the kind of the last piece that we're waiting to find out. So I'm going to give you a couple of key parts. And we're going to do them in, in an order where of, of amount of stuff we're going to have to talk about them, I think. So they're only going to allow one link for external payment options. So remember, you could do two things. You can either link people out to the web to pay or you can throw up a in-app like purchase thing, you know, in-app purchasing screen. It's not in-app purchase, please excuse me. Like a, so say here are the other payment methods that you can make, you know? And you have to apply for an entitlement for each. Um, Apple's only allowing you to have one link that goes out and that link is like specified in the application itself, right? So that you can't change it. It's like a whole thing. It's coded into the app. So that's one part ridiculous, but that's whatever, kind of what we expected. For both this, though, and the I want to pay in-app using a third-party provider, you have to show to users an in-app modal sheet. This means like something you can only get rid of by pressing one of either like the yes or no buttons, basically. This has to be shown before sending people for payment or giving them their options. Uh, There's a bunch of wording on there. I want to read a couple of parts of it. So... I'm going to truncate this a little bit, but some of the wording that you have to include, this is just a thing that comes up, says, this app does not support the App Store's private and secure payment system. Blah, 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 blah. Only purchases through the App Store are secured by Apple. Now, a lot of people, I think, are very rightly reading into this, that basically Apple is trying to paint the picture that you can only trust them. They're the only secure ones, right? It's like the implication of what they're saying is that the App Store has a private and secure payment system. So if you don't use this one, maybe it's not private and secure, which is a terrible thing to say, really. And it does, I've seen a, a bunch of people, I think I saw Matt Birch just said this on Twitter, 
well, what about the third-party payment systems that already exist in apps like Uber and Amazon? They don't have to show users this stuff. Why is that? You know what I mean? It's like, just if you want proof that Apple wants to make this a bad experience out of spite, I think, this is part of that proof. What What is your take on this whole, like, showing the modal thing? I... I said a while ago, when we first saw Apple's results in Korea and Japan, mm-hmm. that it feels like Apple's strategy is to make everything as unpleasant as possible, mm-hmm. right? It's it's follow the letter of the law, but but show your resistance in every possible way. And this dialogue box is part of that. It, it, it Actually, it reminds me, I mean, Apple does this reflexively. I think this is part of a strategy, but Apple does this a lot where you see Apple's kind of, um, I think they view it as being concerned for the user, but it's weaponized a lot. And sometimes pointlessly, like um, I'm reminded of how on M1 Max, when you install Audio Hijack, the excellent sound utility from rogue amoeba um they have to use an apple approved method of capturing system audio and apple makes you reboot twice and go to a system setting and say lower security settings and it has text there that basically says you are endangering yourself by doing this and then you have to agree and reboot and now you can use audio hijack and it it struck me as funny because Audio Hijack's using Apple-approved methods. It's not a kernel extension. It's just an it's a it's a system extension that Apple has approved the methodology of it, and yet they put up these the scare text. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just part of it's it, it the good side of it. It is their culture of concern for the user and wanting to disclose to the user. But when I say it can be weaponized, anything they don't like, they can turn on that language and try to scare the user and so you know all of this stuff is like that all of this stuff is apple's argument all along is that uh boo spooky other people processing your credit cards are bad and they may be fraudsters and only apple is trustworthy and so why would they not uh, create a scary dialogue box because they're trying to create so many barriers that nobody uses this and more to the point that that developers don't even bother because they're like i'm i'm not gonna put like i'm not gonna get why would i do this work <laughs> if nobody's ever going to agree to the thing where you tap and a ghost appears and says no <laughs> this is haunted <laughs> so uh i don't know i mean it's are we surprised but i think the counter argument would be um and this is the i dare you portion of apple strategy which is the counter argument is are you going to tell us how to write our dialogue boxes are you going to tell us when and we when and and if we can warn our users about legitimate security threats and i think they believe that they probably won't be. That the regulators and and the the lawmakers are not gonna say it must be a nice dialogue box that is fair and has text that is approved by a regulator. That, that's that's their gamble that they're taking here is that um, they're gonna be able to get away with this. But it, it yeah. is weaponizing their their stated uh, concern for the user and turning it into a concern. We're very concerned that you might use someone else's systems and it, it could be dangerous are you are you sure you want to do that they're you know it's mom 
saying, you can drive the car, but are you, are you sure you want to go to that party? And the worst part of it is the part that we all expected would happen. But honestly, when you see it written down, it's just so much worse than when you imagined it, I think, <laughs> is that Apple will be charging developers that use third-party payment systems 27%, a 27% fee on every yeah. transaction. Isn't that funny, too, that choice? I mean, it's generally thought that 3% is the credit card transaction. Mm-hmm. And so they're literally like, okay, so uh, we'll subtract that from the 30 we take and, and we want the rest. And they didn't, they didn't try to like say, oh, well, 25. It's just a natural number, 25. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Or 20. Well, yeah, no, whatever. They're like, no, it's exactly, we, we, we have imagined how much you're going to be spending on the external and uh, that's what we spend too. Uh, so we'll let you have that part and then we want the rest because uh, we, we want our money and we want our money no matter what transactions mm-hmm. you use. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's clear. And this, to, they're so lucky that Google... <laughs> went to this before them in terms of the strategy yep. of of we want our money whether or not we are skimming it off of our transaction or not yep. um but uh but still it's it's very much and maybe this is a negotiation maybe this is they're going to start come on hard and then eventually they'll back down a little bit but um it's them saying we want all our money and it doesn't matter what transaction processing system you use you can use that if you want to but it's not going to save you any money so why just bother? just for reference, um, for Google, I think it's by a large most transactions is somewhere between eleven and fifteen percent. So like, I agree with you, and like they they were I guess waiting to see what Google did, but I think Google has picked a number that for whatever reason they've picked their number. Apple's right. picked its number by being like, no, we deserve every penny. And well, and, and also they don't want to. And fundamentally, Apple doesn't want to create an incentive for developers to build this app. So they've got the scary dialog box. It has to be a separate binary in the app store, uh-huh. separate from their existing app. Yep. And uh, and so you do all of this, and you and then you're not going to even make any money. Out you of it. know, you just know that your app review time is going to be worse. Probably, because they're going to have to check this against yeah. all the things, and, and you're going to have to get special approval. And that's all to make it so unpleasant that nobody wants to do it. And then you know what happens. The next step is people agitate for laws to be changed or for Apple to be held to account. And Apple says, hey, we did it, and nobody's taking us up on it. Yeah. Like, nobody wants this. Why are you regulating us to provide alternate payment methods when the truth is, in the real world, in Dutch dating apps, nobody uses the feature? Why we're innocent here? Mm. You're at making us build work. things, yeah. And, and nobody is using it because they just don't want it. And the truth is that that that's part of the game they're playing is they want to make it as unpalatable as possible so that they can have proof to say nobody is using it. Um, because so so that's that's all what's that's all what's happening here. Yeah. Talk about unpalatable. All right, bear with me a minute. It's stuff to read. I want to read right. from Apple's pages. So in regards to the 27%, this is a reduced rate that excludes the value related to payment processing and related activities. Developers using these entitlements will be required to provide a report to Apple recording each sale of digital goods and content that has been facilitated through the App Store. The report will then need to be provided monthly within 15 calendar days following the end of Apple's fiscal month. Qualifying developers will receive an invoice based on their reporting and will be required to remit payment to Apple for the amount invoiced within 45 days following the end of Apple's fiscal month. 
In the future, if Apple develops technical solutions to facilitate reporting, developers will be required to adopt, adopt such technologies. Please note that Apple has audit rights pursuant to the entitlement's terms and conditions. This will allow Apple to review the accuracy of a developer's record of digital transactions as a result of the entitlement, ensuring the appropriate commission has been paid to Apple. Failure to pay Apple's commission could result in the offset of proceeds owed to you in other markets, removal of your app from the App Store, or removal from the Apple Developer Program. This is disgusting to me. Like, so there's a few things here that I find so terrible about this. Like, and it's not even the money. Actually, like the first thing I was annoyed about was the 27%. But then when I read this, I was so much more annoyed because the implication that they are making here is that they cannot trust developers to accurately tell them what the charges will be, right? Not only do they want a detailed report, they threaten you with audits and punishments if you don't give them the correct number because they need every single cent and they are so upset if they don't get it like ah man like they they have engineered this in such a way that it's probably also going to cost developers more money to go with this route than to stick with apple like where is the partnership there's just they do not care about partnerships right it's like you are lucky to be here with us we have ordained to give you real estate on our incredible product and in our app store like and we deserve every single cent of it because just we do um it makes me sick man i'm so annoyed about this so a couple of things right like it's hard to ask somebody to forego money i get it and and apple's culture comes from that time that near-death experience where you know i think steve jobs really set them on the path of um everybody get every get your get your take every time from everywhere in fact it reminds me of our our joke about um idg back in the day the way idg business units were budgeted um i was told it's like the mob like they don't really care what you do as long as you give them their money at the end of the year (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's a little like that. It's like, we just want the money. Like, we just we just want the money. That's our culture is you give us the money for everything you do on our platforms, you give us the money. And I, although there are arguments that are strong here, like, look, Apple does spend money on, on building app store systems and building uh, Xcode and building external APIs for third-party developers. Like, there is actual money that Apple spends. The, the funny thing is, I don't know of any... Develop, no developer I know, let's put it that way, I have ever seen say that they don't believe that Apple doesn't deserve a portion, right? Oh, I 100% believe that they deserve a portion. Yeah. So so th- there's an extreme argument that, that people can make, which is like, oh, I, I just want to set up my own thing and, and box Apple out. And that's sort of the Epic Games argument and all that. It's like, I don't... But what what is interesting here is that you're you're putting everyone in a position where... You know, Apple wants it the way they want it, and they want to tell everybody what to do. And uh, and and the extreme side is we want to bypass Apple. And I don't. I mean, the challenge there is is could you bypass Apple? I I uh, even if you were to pass laws or set up regulations where Apple couldn't take a, a higher than a certain percentage from transactions, or you set up alternate app stores or whatever else it would be. There's other layers to this, right? I saw a developer on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, whether it was Steve Trotton Smith or somebody else. Somebody speculated that you know where this is end up 
going to end up going is an Xcode enterprise access fee based on your total sales on Apple platforms and you pay a percentage of it to Apple and it needs to be audited and it becomes like basically, okay, we'll back out of the whole thing, but you're still going to pay us our money. Mm -hmm. That is their, that is their strategy here. The tragedy to me, and again, maybe some of this is because it's negotiation ploy and this is how they've decided to do it and they've decided to be really hard about it. The tragedy to me is I feel like there's a strategy, there's a an approach that they could take that would make most of this stuff go away and it would make the remaining arguments so blunted that they would never gain any headway. But Apple hasn't done that. Apple hasn't said, okay, you know, we're going to we're going to change and we're going to make this. Instead they're like we will do the minimum possible. That is their that is their strategy. So so this is where we are, and this is why it has eroded the the uh, relationship between developers and Apple. Um, oh, the other thing that I know I've mentioned before, but I failed to mention just then is it also, it, there's this implication that um, since Apple built the platform and built, the, built Xcode and built all the APIs and all of that, that Apple deserves a portion of the revenue of the apps that are generated because Apple, Apple laid the foundations. Apple benefits... Uh, developers benefit, Apple benefits. Of course, the truth is that Apple benefits so much from the sale of devices that run all those apps. And that if the apps didn't exist, Apple's products would not be as popular. And and you only need to go back to the Mac versus Windows to see that if you have one platform that's got all the software and the other one doesn't, guess what happens? The one platform kind of struggles. And so... It's disingenuous to say that Apple needs to share with or developers need to share with Apple because Apple laid the groundwork of the platform. Because I would argue that at that point you should say, what percentage of iPhone sales are you going to give to developers? Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do that, right? Zero percent is the answer there. That's the answer. So How it's 27% over here this. and zero percent over there. <laughs> we made this. How dare you, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we're we're one hundred and, and that's why, and again, forgive me, but having worked with people who dealt with Steve Jobs for business regarding the Macworld brand. Um, There is, and it comes straight from Steve, there is still inside Apple this idea that everything positive is due to Apple. And so the iPhone is 100% successful due to Apple's greatness. All of those sales are 100% due to Apple. The App Store is is probably 100% due to Apple's greatness, but we can't take 100% from you. So we'll take 30% from you. And that's just their attitude. And that I think that is still underpinning a lot of this strategy. And and I don't know what the answer is. It, it, it does sort of feel like, unless this is a rope-a-dope kind of thing where mm-hmm. Apple's like, oh no, we're going we're gonna to be mean. And then they're like, okay, oh right, we changed. They're, they're really just saying, regulate us, make us. See, this is the thing. <laughs> no one outside of the Netherlands should be paying attention to this story, in theory, right? But you're making us all see it. So, like, if this is your plan, is you, right, what you've pointed out of, like, oh, we're going to go hard and then pull back. Like, in doing that, it makes everyone feel bad. Yep. Everyone feels bad. And is that is that good? I don't think that's a good tactic. And, like, right. I don't think that's the tactic. I just think that they are asking for what they think they deserve. I mean, if if you have a person you have a relationship with, let's not say it's a friend, but it's a colleague or it's a, a business that you do business with and they do good work and it helps your business that you work with them. 
and they provide you with some of your your revenue for your business and it's all fine but over time what happens is everything that they do they keep and they keep maximizing how much of what you do they want to charge you for like it's this business it's it becomes this thing where you feel like you're being taken advantage of and while you're still making money and building your business you feel like uh, the other group is not your friend and they're not really even your colleague. They're kind of lording it over you and are are giving you enough to survive, but they even view it almost as if they're giving it to you and as if it's largesse. Now, I've, I, this is, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be a, a Sherlock to realize what I'm describing as the Apple uh, developer relationship. But if you abstract it just a little bit, that that's what's going on here. And it doesn't mean that the developers are not going to keep developing software for Apple's platforms. But what has happened is, if you think about that abstracted argument, you no longer give the benefit of the doubt to your business partner. You begin to protect yourself from that business partner. You begin to view that business partner as untrustworthy, as an adversary. And here's the, the kicker. When the bad times come, and something that 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 uh, business partner adversary needs something of you or needs to call in a favor. You won't because they never showed that to you. Mm-hmm. Apple is behaving like a company that will never have the bad times come and never needs a favor and that every bad thing that happens on Apple's platforms can be papered over with money. That's their that's their approach. And you know what? So far since the launch of the App Store in 2008. That's been true. It has been true. And it will probably be true for a while that no matter what the relationship is with with app developers and Apple, that there's too much money to be made for it to make enough of a difference for the people who are developing apps to abandon Apple and abandon that money. But they they are corroding the relationship. And it's a dangerous game because you are basically betting on the fact that even when your relationship is bad, you're going to give them enough money that it's not going to matter. And that's great as long as you've got the money to give them. Tell you one place where I can see this as like a potential thing, because I, I really love what that analogy you've just made, right? And what it seems like is on the horizon, like there's nothing, right? There's a, when is Apple ever going to need to ask these people for anything? One thing I can think of is like new platforms, Stuff yeah. like, like the mixed reality headset. Apple needs apps for it. But I could imagine a lot of people either A, don't want to get into the business at all because it seems too stressful. Or B, they're in it, but they don't want to do any more because it's just right. more aggravation. And Apple needs these well, apps. They're asking people to take a leap, right? Yep. They're to take a leap with mm-hmm. us and invest a lot of money in this new platform that is not going to be successful for a little while. And what Apple's saying is, this is a straight-up investment. You you invest in our platform now, we'll make you money later. That's all you need to care about. Mm-hmm. And that's one way to go. But I would argue that if somebody is more predisposed toward Apple and be like, oh, I love Apple's stuff, and this is really fun, and we're going to take an adventure, and we're going to break new ground, and maybe we'll make money at the end of it too. Great. Like, you're going to get more and more enthusiastic investment in your new platform than if it's just... Also, who's who's investing, right? There are the people out there, and we know a lot of them who are developers, who, although they make a living from being a developer, they also take great pride in what they do. Um, they are often very small companies or individuals. They've got limited amounts of time to spend. 
And then Apple comes in and says, well, we've got this thing. It's going to be a big investment. You're going to have to buy hardware. You're going to have to do all this stuff, learn totally new ways. But in the end, it's going to be this. Well, what's going to happen is a lot of those people are going to be like, I can't. I, I can't. I, I've got to maintain the stuff that's making my, my living now. This is expensive. There's no no return on investment. The people who will come in are everybody else who's willing to put in money with the hope of getting rich down the road. So I would argue that the composition of the developers that you're bringing in for your new thing, if you don't have good vibes with developers, will be the, the people you bring in will be kind of bad and jerky and they're all in it to get rich quick and i know it's capitalism like everybody wants to make money but what i'm saying is sometimes what happens on apple's platforms is there's the stuff apple's proud of and the stuff apple's not proud of and i would argue that most of the stuff apple's proud of is coming from kind of good developers who care and yes they want to make money too but they care and the stuff apple's not proud of is the people who are super mercenary and the businesses that are mercenary and they just are in it for the money apple's big we're gonna we're gonna spend a few million bucks on this ar thing hopefully it'll pay off later and again you could do that like it's a perfectly reasonable solution to do that but what if you're apple what you're risking is that you're scaring away all the people who do the work you're actually proud of on your platform and you're going to be left with the kind of crappy stuff that's in the app store that you make money from but don't really talk about or don't really promote heavily because it's kind of soulless and bad. And I what so what I'm not arguing here is that the sainted indie developers are where Apple makes its money. It's not. But I think there is an intangible aspect to it, which is that that's the kind of stuff... When there's love and commerce going on, you get a better product and it's a product that Apple's prouder of and they do app store features about and all of that. And I think that that does matter to Apple. And I, I think it's it's a very proud company that is proud of, of stuff that it enables on the app store. And, uh, and I'm just saying there are lots of, there's lots of fallout from making your core developer community uh, hardened and mercenary. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Bombas. Bombas's mission is simple, to make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every single day. Everything that they make is soft and seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made with incredibly soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them really comfortable, super cozy for the winter as well. There is a pair of Bomber socks for everything that you do, and they come in tons of options like comfy uh, performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Bombas's t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics in the perfect weights so that they hang just right, and Bombas's underwear has that barely there feeling might make you forget that they're even there but in a good way of course and did you know that socks underwear and t-shirts are the, th- are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters and that is why Bombas donates one for every item that you buy so go to bombas.com upgrade and you'll get 20% off your first purchase something I've been loving at Bombas recently is their gripper slippers it's like halfway between a sock and a slipper and they're really comfortable and I love them I'm actually I need to get more pairs of them I've been wearing them a lot uh, over the last few weeks are really great. So that's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off. One last time, bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and Relay FM.
All right, Jason, it is time for the Six Colors report card for Apple's 2021. Can you explain to listeners, maybe new listeners, what the Six Colors report card is? Uh, sure. Every year um, for since 2015, when I started Six Colors, I have tried to get a panel of people, a few dozen people, people who I know or I, I read their stuff on Twitter or I, you know, people who seem to focus on Apple with a lot of their attention. Um, I ask them to fill out a survey about uh, 12 different Apple-related categories. And I ask them to score Apple uh, one to five, five being best, one being worst for each of the categories. And then they also can uh, fill out a little text field and tell me more about how they're feeling. And I compile those results. So for the people who like numbers, there are numbers. And for people who like words, there are lots of words because I, although I trim it down, there are a lot of words from uh, people whose names you know and some that you don't. And so uh, because I've been doing it since 2015, it also means that I can uh, track the sentiment over time and see how people's opinions have changed. The panel changes every year, but it's it's got a lot of continuity. I try to add people and I also invite people and then not all of them opt to take the survey so that varies from year to year mm -hmm. um, i need to be better at inviting more people in the future i'm actually going to try to build a a better system to keep track of my it's a little scattershot but i'm going to try to be better for next time but um uh yeah so it's a it's a measure of sentiment about apple in a bunch of different categories and really my goal is not to prove anything scientifically that's not the point the point here my goal is really to get uh, get a sense of the 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 temperature, get the sense of the vibe among people who pay attention to Apple. How do they think it's going? And I think in in aggregate, you end up with some interesting insights into how people feel Apple is doing from year to year, how the trends are. It's a point to begin conversation, I think, more than anything else. But I think it's a fun idea and it's been fun to do. So I uh, I'm doing it. So we're going to run through the grades. Um, we'll maybe pick out some some of the points that were made and we can look at why things have maybe gone up or down. Uh, sure. I am going to give my grades and I'm going to ask you to give yours because sure. you do not vote in the report card. But So I would like to have that so we could... And in fact, I am not. I have not prepared any grades. So okay. we will figure it out together. Well, I mean, really, this is kind of just how I fill out the report card. I just, yeah. as I'm going through, I just fill it out about like how I'm feeling when I get to the question. So we're going to do the same with you today. You don't do like a sentiment analysis of all the words that you've said during the year and try to gauge the... No, of course not. Okay. Well, I mean, of course, this is incredibly important to me. So yes, I am doing that. Of course, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, we'll start with the Mac, which is an A plus with a four point six score, which is down a little from by, from four point seven. This was something I was very surprised about, but you tried to tell me why that was okay, right? Yeah, well, I, a lot of people were like, "How did the Mac score go down?" And mm -hmm. the answer is because it it went up by one point one on average, a huge leap last year as Apple Silicon came in, and that is hard when you when five is the most you can give anything, and you've got a group. Of 53 people and the score is 4.7 it actually doesn't have a lot of room to go up <laughs> it's that's it's almost up at the top so it slid a little to 4.6 looking at the sentiment of the the comments i think there are a couple reasons for that one is that the there are still some um, apple silicon macs that have not made their debut and also i'd say a general 
um, kind of uneasiness about the state of the software side yes. of the Mac. And this is not a Mac hardware question, it is a Mac question. And people can interpret that as they like. And so I think that I there like are a few people who, who ratcheted down the score a little bit. Stephen Hackett, I think, may have been one of them. Uh, Stephen says, I can't shake the feeling that once again, Apple's software is letting its hardware down. macOS Monterey has been the smoothest running version of operating system in several years, but parts of macOS continue to feel outdated, if not right, outright forgotten by teams who have moved on to other projects. So yeah. you can assess some of that that, that part there. Mm-hmm. Um, I graded it a five, um, and my quote was one of the quotes someone that you did publish in the report card, which I always enjoy when I see those, is that in the 10 years that I've been covering Apple, this is the most excited I've ever been for the Mac. And it's true. I think, I mean, to me, like just for my, obviously I'm biased, but I just can't believe that anyone wouldn't rate this year a five. Like it, to me, that's wild because the Macs that we have seen this year are absolutely unbelievable. And I mean, maybe people are kind of like, oh, I'll put it at four now because I'm waiting for more later. But I'm just kind of like, just just live your life. Just, you know, give it all fives. We'll just do five, five, five. You don't have to like grade down because of what the future might bring. Just be happy, you know? Five, five, five all over the place. So what's your score? <laughs> four. Ah, oh, you're one of these people. <laughs> yeah, Come on. I... I think Steven's exactly right, which is I want to, and I had several people, I tend to take out the things where people explain their rating system to me because that's the thing I hate the most about like Goodreads or something like that. So like, I would have given this three and a half, but since you don't allow half ratings, I guess I'll give it a three. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were several people who said, if this was just the hardware, it would be a five. And I agree. If this was hardware, I would give it a five out of five. But the fact is, Mac OS Monterey, like it's great that shortcuts is there now. I'm so happy about that. Mm-hmm. It was it was a mess when it shipped, and it's still kind of weird, but it's getting better. And I agree with Stephen exactly. There are so many, and, and this is true across the board, but it's especially true on the Mac. There is so much Apple software that feels abandoned, and um, and it's it's embarrassing. Like there's stuff on on Apple's platform that is is core to Apple's platform that doesn't feel like it's changed much in a decade, and things have changed in a decade, right? And yet there there are apps that are way behind, and apps that don't support shortcuts, uh, and and there and we give them a lot of praise when they do a makeover of one of their apps, which is great. But I think it's interesting that they can only really ever manage it for one or two apps a year, and uh. You know, uh, a third-party app can't afford to go five years between major changes, right? Like, they can't do it. But Apple thinks that they can. And mm, maybe mm. they can get away with it, <laughs> talking about our previous conversation. But I think it's bad, and I think it hurts the platform. So I'm, I am withholding that point for the fact that the software between macOS and their apps on macOS... Uh, and also like the indistinct sort of like weird situation they're in where it's unclear about like what is Catalyst and what is UI Kit and where is this all going? Like and, and, and the feeling among developers that it's not moving along as fast as they really want it to. Like there's just a lot there. So I can't again, I was trained back in the day to not give five mice unless something was perfect. And um, and the, the Mac is close. It's real close. It would be four and a half mice. But I'm going to withhold that last point because... Um, the software side does, uh, this is the truth, is Apple could not be doing a better job on Mac hardware. Could not be. It is amazing. And maybe the fact that people have caveats about the Mac should suggest to Apple where they need to 
put their attention. Like Apple's, Apple is rapidly becoming a company that that is not the synthesis of hardware and software, but great hardware let down by software. And that's not a really great brand to be. So what you're saying is nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. Nothing is so perfect that it gets five out of five mm-hmm. is what I would say. Speaking of, John Syracuse says every new Mac Apple introduced in 2021 was a hit. Uh, Alex Cox says, for the first time in years, I find myself reaching for my MacBook Pro instead of my iPad or my iPhone, even to do small tasks. And uh, Federico Vitici says, the greatest compliment I can pay to Apple's renewed approach to the Mac is that for the first time in a decade, they've got an iPad user like myself interested in the Mac again. Mm-hmm. So let's do the iPhone. Got an A minus 4.0 down from 4.3. I gave it a 4. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I probably gave it a five last year. I would expect that I did. Um, and that was why I graded it a four. I really love ProMotion. Um, I'm fine with the design being unchanged. But the other part for me, as I mentioned, I think I've mentioned it on the show, I'll definitely mention it, Upgrade Plus. I have some issues with the uh, scratchability of the screen uh, yes. because my screen is all scratched up. And Lex Friedman says, I think Apple's glass is getting a little less awesome over time. My 13 Pro shows more scratches and nicks than the other recent iPhones did, though no worse treatment, through no worse treatment. I think this is that ceramic shield. Um, yeah. Ceramic shield seems to, as I've been told this by somebody at Apple, protects against breakages, but actually opens it up to getting scratched more. I'm not sure what is the right trade-off for that. So I went for four. What would you rate the iPhone at this year? And I I just point out that the iPhone scores track, they go up when, it's like sales, right? (laughs) They go up when there's a new model with new I think that makes sense, right? Because they're the big ones. That's when the biggest features, that's when it should be the most exciting. You know, I I would have rated it higher last year because I love the design. And so, like, I'm happy to keep it at a four because I love the design. I'm fine with it being unchanged. But aside from ProMotion, the iPhone 13 is kind of just like, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to score Apple down because it can't do a new design of the iPhone every year. I guess mm-hmm. I get that there's an enthusiasm gap there. I'm going to give it a four mm-hmm. because I I think nothing is so perfect, but also, um, you know, there there's issues, shortcuts again didn't work, right? Like there's some OS issues. I do think iPhone software is in a better place than Mac software is. Um, I could I could see giving this a five. I, I'm also a little concerned about the future of the. How can you ever give a mini? five, Jason? With this, with it could this, what you set out. How if nothing can be perfect? How can you ever score a five? Uh, it's got it's just got to be a magical moment. You really have mm. to feel it, Mike. <laughs> when a when one Dutch person loves another Dutch person right, very right. much. It's a five, five out of five, five out of five. Uh, Christina Warren says, software quality does continue to get worse, particularly with things like autocorrect and the continued embarrassment that is Siri. iOS 14 was one of the worst iOS rollouts in history, and iOS 15 is definitely better than that. From a hardware perspective, as good as the iPhone 13 is, it also feels like the weakest upgrade from the previous version that I can maybe ever remember. John Gruber says the iPhones 13 are very nice year-over-year upgrades. The cameras are better than ever. Performance improved by typical margins, while at the same time, battery life improved too. Battery life is one of those things that I think, you know, I had to keep in mind as like, okay, this is another reason to keep 
the score good because that battery yeah. life improvement was significant across all the devices. And I was really happy about that at the time. But it's easy to forget about over time because you just get used to your phone being better. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan, if I look at the big picture here, of the fact that I had to choose between my small-sized phone and the third camera and the ProMotion display. Mm-hmm. And I, I did choose. Um, and I understand why those differentiators are there, but I you know, I don't have to like it, and I will like it even less next year when I can't buy <laughs> Next year they'll make you phone. choose because it just won't yeah. exist. Wait for my score next year. <laughs> it's going to be a mini score for a non-mini phone. Yeah. Uh, iPad. B grade, 3.7 out of 5, both years in a row. I was generous and gave it a 4 purely because of how much I adore the iPad mini. Yeah, I would have probably, without the iPad mini, I'd probably be at a 2 out of 5 this year. But the iPad mini is so perfect for me. I went with a four. And there's actually, uh, I'll get to your score in a moment because there's a couple of people who agree with me, uh, Stephen Aquino being <laughs> one of them. I'm very excited by the new iPad mini. After years experimenting with using an iPad as a laptop replacement, the redesigned mini feels like just what I'm looking for out of a tablet these days. Federico said um, that I'm glad they revived this product in 2021, but I just hope we won't have to wait three years for another update. Which is the problem? Yep. What is your score for the iPad in twenty twenty one? Um, I'm I'm similarly conflicted because I think the hardware updates were good. Although I, it, it, which hardware update do you highlight? Do you highlight the existence of the iPad Mini, which really is a remarkable piece of hardware? It's so good. Um, the or do you highlight the M one iPad Pro that sort of is just like the old one? Even though it's got an M1 in it now, it's really just... Well, if you don't mind me interrupting... The display is great. Depending on which hardware you highlight tells a very different story because the iPad mini yeah. is this great hardware that runs iPadOS. How amazing is that? Like this tiny hardware and it can yeah. run with the full power of iPadOS. Uh-huh. Or you say, look at the iPad Pro. It has an M1 chip in it and it only runs what we have in iPadOS. You know, it's like two very different outcomes for yeah. running through the same track. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a three. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, I love the iPad mini. I think it is great. Mm-hmm. I bought an M1 iPad Pro 12.9, and I love it, and the screen is great. Apple loses a lot of my enthusiasm for the iPad with the fact that iPad OS is coming along so slowly. They, are, they haven't shipped Pro apps for it. They haven't come up with an external display solution. They, You know, it's just... What is the iPad going to be? You've mm-hmm. had an iPad Pro now for a very long time, and yet is the iPad? Somebody, uh, one of my commenters said, it seems to be settling in. Was it David Sparks? I think, who said, um, you know, I, I've come to a new understanding yes. with the iPad, and essentially what he means there is it's it's an in between product between mm-hmm. the Mac and the iPhone, and not like another product that can do everything that the Mac can do, and. Uh, you know, I think that I am disappointed by that because I think the iPad should do more than it does and sure. be an alternative, as Federico would say better than anyone. It's 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 another kind of computing device that has a lot of benefits, including touch and including portability. And the app story on them is is quite good. It has a lot going for it. And it's frustrating if its creator uh, sees all that it has going for it and says, yes, but it's still sort of lesser. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on that David Sparks train. Like it's like a almost Zen way of thinking. But David said, I no longer judge it by what I want it to be, but instead what it actually is. 
And that's kind of how I feel about the iPad yeah. in general now. Like, this is what what hit me in the feels was yeah. I realized Apple looks at the iPad as something between the iPhone and the Mac and no more. So now I'm only using the iPad for things the iPad is good at and no longer trying to move mountains with a shovel. And on one level, it's like, yes, that's probably the right thing to do. On the other level, it's like, why is it that way? Why, why has Apple decided either through its action or inaction that that's what it needs to do with the iPad is sort of just sort of let it be in the middle. It shouldn't be that way, but I have definitely decided to stop fighting it and I'm happier <laughs> this way. Um, but I understand why people want, I mean, that's the secret like people like Federico, give up. Right? just give up and, and, and I'll be happier that way. This episode is brought to you by FitBod. It's really normal for people to start considering their health and fitness around this time of year. But between balancing work, family, and everything else you have going on, it can sometimes be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you. That's why you need FitBod. FitBod's algorithms learn about you, your goals, and training ability, and will help craft a personalized exercise plan that is unique to you. And their app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. Recently, the FitBot app got a huge uh, update with new branding. It's even more easy to use. And they have these brand new HD video tutorials that are shot from multiple angles that make it even easier to learn how to perform every exercise. Personal fitness isn't just about competing with other people. You don't have to look to others and try and stack up against them and do what they do. You need to find something that's going to work for you individually because that's when it really sticks. That's when you get the results that you're looking for. And FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan. And you have instant access to your own personalized routine in their awesome app. So you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. I love the way that FitBud integrates with the Apple Watch. So once I've learned the exercises that are in my routines, you know, it's some that I do frequently, so I don't need to see the videos about them. But I can see the name of them on the Apple Watch. I know what I need to do, and I can just advance through so I never go to my phone because a lot of the time I get distracted by some notifications or something. So I like that I can decouple from it and just get the work done. Everyone's fitness path is different, and this is why FitBod does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next one will be even better, whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. FitBod even tracks your muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure that you're not overworking anything. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash upgrade. So kick off the new year right and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash upgrade and you'll get 25% off your membership. That is fitbod.me slash upgrade for 25% off. A thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we move now into wearables. So this is uh, there's kind of two categories in one, right? Wearables and Apple Watch. I think initially they were together and you split them out. Is that correct? Yeah. I launched the survey when the Apple Watch existed. And then what Apple did is they broke out wearables as its own category and included things like AirPods. And I realized I probably wanted a wearables category and not an Apple Watch category. Um, but I also didn't want to give up the historical value of the Apple Watch question so now i ask two questions uh how do you feel about wearables including apple watch and how do you feel about apple watch and i chart them both 
And so, you know, you get a you get a sense this time. I mean, the wearable score has always been higher than the Apple Watch score, and I think that's because um, Apple Watch is figured into the wearable score. But then they also throw in like AirPods, and people like AirPods. So, I mean, for me, I judge it as AirPods in wearables, and then Apple Watch on its own. That's how I always yeah. think of this category. Well, you're not reading the instructions, which say wearables includes Apple Watch, but that's fine. At some point, well, I will probably... Jason, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what, like for me personally, like, why would I score the Apple Watch inside of a category and then also score it on well, its own? Like, to me, that at, doesn't at make At some point, sense. because of people like you, I will just drop asking the Apple Watch people question like and me. only ask wearables. Maybe the problem but... is people like you asking a weird question. Anyway, A-. minus. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always the, the questioners who are at fault, not the answerers. Category 4.0 again year over year no change i went with a three for me this is status quo honestly it's just kind of like yep okay fine everything's the same um what did you give what would you give for wearables obviously including the apple watch because that's the way it makes sense yeah i think your three for status quo is probably about right i think apple i bought a new apple watch this year and i like it i i like the bigger screen and the brighter always on and all of that like i actually think that um i'm enthusiastic about the latest um series seven are we up to now i don't know we're on seven now yeah yeah i like i like it i think it i think it uh i think it's good um and just because apple's being incremental i think it was actually a pretty nice update and uh airpods you know they did the new airpods that are uh depending on how they fit your ears you're either enthusiastic about or not enthusiastic about but yeah not a lot of change in this category and so uh, I could go back and forth on it because I think how's Apple doing in wearables? I think it's doing really well. How was the year and was there new stuff this year and all that? Well, there wasn't. So what do I grade it on? If if I'm grading it on was there new stuff? Yeah, it's kind of a middle of the road. Uh, if I'm grading on how well I think they're doing with the wearables business, I would probably give it a four. The Apple Watch is a B at 3.6 down from 3.8. I went with a three. Uh, I like the Apple Watch Series 7 a, a lot. I actually like the bigger screen. I think it looks really nice. I like the keyboard that they added. I think that's really smart. But I wanted more from the design. You know, I said this at the time. um, I'm over the rounded edge design. And and I I was really hoping this was the year that they were going to change that. But they didn't. So for me, it's kind of balanced out as a three out of five. Mm. I'm going to say four here just because I do like the Series 7 a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mind that it's the same recognizable shape. Um, the fact that I can use Apple Watch as a platform, right? Like I've got a cellular model. I can see it really clearly in the daylight. I, I love the always-on display. And I go for runs with this. Like yep. I go for runs where I'm running an app that's doing running intervals and Overcast is stream or broadcasts actually is streaming audio to my AirPods as I run while intervals is telling me when to run and when to walk and when to run. And like, that's amazing. And it really, and honestly, we talk about software quality and we're going to talk more about it in a bit. That's all been solid for me the last year. I've actually not had frustrations like I used to have where, I mean, other than the fact that when my watch sees my Wi-Fi network, it seems to say, oh, I'll stop playing your audio now when I get home, which I find very weird. weird. Like, I, I, I'm playing the audio. You can keep playing it even though we're home. I'm not, I haven't taken my headphones out yet. Um, But in general, it's just, I'm kind of amazed that I have the ability to do that. And people send me messages and I was listening to Connected Live while running and just out in the middle of Mill Valley. And I sent a text message to Steven um, to correct something you said. 
Still doesn't make any sense to me. You just text me. Well, it's because it's because I wanted it during the show and not after <laughs> the show when your do not disturb turns off. It's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I want to affect. You see, this is my method, Mike. Is I want to affect the show. I want to be in the yeah. show. Yeah, it's very a, a lot of people like to try and affect connected. This is a mm-hmm. this is a trend of the show. It's a triple J plot is mm-hmm. basically what it is. Anyway, so I'll give it a four because I did buy a new one and I really like it and I'm very impressed and I actually think the state of the Apple Watch platform is okay. I'm getting what I want out of the apps. I wish there were custom watch faces and stuff. Look, it's not a five. Nothing is perfect, but I'll give it a four. John Maltz really likes the third generation AirPods and are a strong improvement over the previous model. Allison Sheridan says the Apple Watch Series 7 was panned as not having breakthrough features, but the increase in screen size was a huge increase in usability. Agreed. Uh, and I like what Christina Warren said about the Apple Watch is the Apple Watch update this year was boring, but the Apple Watch is still the wearable to beat. And yeah. that's just a fact. Yeah. Apple TV. <laughs> oh, baby. C grade. 3.1 up from 2.1 uh, year over year. The biggest jump in the uh, yeah. the scorecard this year. I've seen some people say, oh my God, why did people like the Apple TV so much? And I'll just point out the Apple TV was a very, very low grade. Mm-hmm. And it's come up to a C grade. So not, it went up a whole point, it, huge, the biggest mover in the whole survey. But it's not like it went from good to great. Mm-hmm. It went from bad to okay. And I got to say, what is the value of a new remote control? Friends, the app value <laughs> is, is one, one point. point in the Apple report card. Survey. It's so good, yeah. that remote. Like I've internalized it, it now. Is. It's just the remote. And it's excellent. I love it. I gave it a three. For the, because of the remote, uh, otherwise it would have been maybe a one, uh, because just like they're not really doing anything. Like Federico said, this it's so true. If you would, if you would have asked me to recall what's new in TVOS fifteen off the top of my head, I don't think I'd be able to answer that. He's not doing anything anymore, really. Yeah. Again, we come back. We come back to what whether it's about the year or how they're doing and how you. Everybody's gonna like. I could have voted this a, a two a three or a four, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Because this was the year that I went all in on Apple TV. That remote prompted me to cut the cord, uh, get a new receiver for my speakers, and everything we watch in the house is now uh, on the Apple TV. Everything. We are all Apple TV. We have one remote. It's the Apple, it's the new Apple TV remote. So on that level... I actually am pretty happy with Apple TV. I think it does what I, for what I do, I think it does a good job. However, we just posted, um, and it's a member post, but I actually unlocked it for everybody. Joe Steele wrote a piece for Six Colors last week about universal search on Apple TV, which is amazing and true, which is there are pieces of it where it's just like, it's bad. And the question is like, does Apple care uh, that it's bad. It feels like Apple TV doesn't have the resources to fix a lot of its software problems. If you if you stay in some very tight constraints, which I try to do because I've been taught basically not to go outside them, I think it does a pretty good job. But um, but there are all the reason I'm going to give it three and being generous and giving it three is there are lots of software issues and app interactions. Like I love these apps that have built their own multi view. It's really great. Like watch two things at once, four things at once. Great for sports, especially. ESPN has it. Fubo has it. TVOS, TVOS 15, I believe, introduced a new picture-in-picture system, or maybe it was 14. But was 14. Um, apps don't support it, and the multi-view apps don't support it. And it just it frustrates me that if I've got the Olympics on 
Peacock and a soccer match on Paramount Plus. I really want to do a like two by two of the the video from them, mm-hmm. and I don't think either of those apps support picture in picture. <laughs> so, like, I, I've got some frustration with uh, new features in the OS being supported. Obviously, the player they introduced a new player UI that uh, everybody's building like their own player UIs. Some of them are good, some of them are terrible. Um, there's a lot of work to be done here. And yes, in terms of the com- competition, like my understanding, I haven't seen it in a while, but the, the Google TV stuff is actually getting pretty good. I have a Roku and a Fire TV uh, stick. And I got to say, I think the Roku stuff is okay. I think the Amazon stuff is real bad. Like you can do everything, but the interface to it is like you're on Amazon.com. I hate it so much. Um, I think Apple interface wise is really pleasant and I think that their solution to a lot of the, you know, app development issues and things like that, I think it's pretty good. Um, but it's too expensive. And so even though I like it and I'm actually very happy with my Apple TV, I think that their Apple is not paying enough attention and it's not being aggressive enough in getting people into the box, especially now that you can watch Apple stuff on other platforms. Yep. Yeah, Guillermo Rambo says the new Apple TV 4K, especially the new remote, is a huge improvement over the previous model. However, I'd like a more powerful chip in the Apple TV since the software seems to struggle quite a bit. Which is just, this is an interesting take for me because, I mean, I'm just not, I'm clearly just not using the software that Guillermo is using. Like, I'm assuming this is like more powerful stuff, maybe games or something like that. Um, but I could imagine it's starting to get a little bit long in the tooth if that's the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny one. Like again, as my my monologue just said, I actually think that there are aspects of Apple TV that are really good. Mm-hmm. My problem with it is mostly I think um momentum. Like I think they built a pretty good product and that Apple and by fixing the remote, Apple has gotten to a pretty good place especially with uh, software support from developers. But it really feels like not enough attention is being given to it and that it could be a lot better. And some of that I think is a victim of Apple's inattention. And some of it I think is a a victim of Apple having some grand designs. Like I, I, I think Netflix not being part of the data sharing system really kneecaps Apple and, and Netflix is sharing data on some other platforms. (laughs) <laughs> but not on Apple TV. This is Apple, me. Apple and its partnerships, right? They should be going to Netflix and saying, Netflix, what will it take? Yeah, what do we need to do? Because yes. I'll tell you, the TV app, we joke about the TV app, and it was bad for a long time. I love the TV app. I use the TV app all the time. I use the Up Next in the TV yep. app to see the, my next episodes. All the time It shows I do me this. when yep. live sports is on. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in that TV app, yep. except you know what? No Netflix. Well, just not, it's not even just Netflix. It's like a bunch of stuff that isn't there. But for yep. us, most of the services that we watch do integrate with it. Netflix doesn't. And it's like, yeah, I know. What is it going to take? Like, do what it's going to take. Like, just do yeah. it, right? Like, I'm already using yeah. Netflix. Like, your don't big protect business, me. You don't need to protect me. <laughs> your big business machinations are directly impacting this product. Mm-hmm. And I, as a, as a user of the product, I don't care. You, you're, you, you are adults, you two giant corporations. Figure it out. 
find a way to compromise so that the users of this platform actually can have the Netflix content in that app because it's going to make Apple's platform better. And I know like Netflix doesn't want to share information with Apple and all that. It's like, work it out. Work it out. Find a way to work where Apple doesn't get everything at once, Netflix doesn't get everything at once, but the Netflix experience is better on Apple TV. And they should both be motivated because I'll tell you, as somebody who uses Apple TV as my primary, I have stopped using Netflix a well, not stopped entirely, but like my Netflix use is dramatically decreased because when I'm shopping for shows in the TV app, guess what's not there? Netflix. Yeah, I agree. And with so you, I don't actually. think about it. I have to think to go and open oh, Netflix. Let's open Netflix and yeah. see what is there. And yeah. if Netflix's grand strategy is, well, we just want to be number one, it's like, well, guess what, guys? You're not number one. You're part of a larger world. And on Apple TV, the rest of the world is in the TV app and you're not. And from Apple's perspective, your product is worse because Netflix is bad on it. Like, Work it out, people. So I hope they do. Services, B-grade, 3.6 down from 4. I don't really understand why for this one. Maybe you can help me. Like, I don't really know why services could go down. Um, so I gave it a 4 because I was really surprised this year that when we did the upgrades, most of my favorite TV shows were on Apple TV+, and I would not have expected that from them this soon. Um, so, yeah. I, services is what you make of it, is what I would say. Mm. So if you if you view it as, hey, how's Apple doing with services? And you use some of Apple services, and you're like, I like them. They're good. And I, I think that's like, I use Apple Music. I use Apple TV+. Plus. Um, but if you want, I even use iCloud more than I used to. But if you want to be a, a negative Nelly, <laughs> you could do that too, right? Because you're like, News Plus is kind of a, a nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, iCloud storage tiers, like the, they're too small for the price, and the free tier is still embarrassing. Um, but on the but then I I go for me I'm on the positive side of this because not only do I think Apple services are more good than bad that the, it used to be that Apple doing services was a joke and now it's very very serious and they do a good job with most of them not all of them but like Fitness Plus is good Apple Arcade really figured it out this year yes. With the with the the classics and the app store greats and bringing that stuff back while mm -hmm. also still commissioning some other stuff, like is Apple Arcade the greatest service ever? No, but I use I'm playing Apple Arcade games I all think the they time found now. Found a better mix now of like better these model. big yeah. broad commission stuff plus a bunch of just like good iPhone games. Like Apple TV Plus is better than I expected it would be. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's mm -hmm. it's a lot better. So I think there's a lot going for it. Um, I also understand people who might vote this lower because there's some uneasiness about Apple focusing on services. Yep. Um, and I get all of that, but I would say, I think that they, I mean, I also use the Apple card and I use Apple pay and I use Apple pay cash and like, I'm in the U S so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, at the core for all of that. But like, I, th I feel like they're doing a pretty good job, not perfect, but, uh, better than I expected. And, you know, we remember when iCloud and Apple cloud strategy was a joke mm -hmm. and they're actually pretty good. Oh, um, Apple lossless and Apple music, uh, uh, multi-channel audio and Apple mm -hmm. music this year. Like there is mm -hmm. so much stuff, custom domains for iCloud email, which I'm not going to use, but, uh, you know, they like, they're doing stuff like, in fact, I think you could argue that Apple's paying way more attention to services than they are to software right now, which is not great for software, but 
I think they've done a pretty good job. So yeah, even though it's not perfect, I think it's pretty good. Well, I think what you just said about they're paying more attention to services and soft- than software might be one of the reasons that some people grade it down a little sure, bit. Sure, absolutely. And again, people can do it, again, that they're right to do that if they want mm-hmm. to. It really is how do you feel. It is a measure of sentiment. So if you don't like services because you feel like Apple is sort of misguidedly focusing on them, grade them down. It gets in there. It gets in the scores. Casey List says, for the most part, I'm pleased of Apple's services. I don't love that they're becoming an ever larger priority for Apple, and I feel like I'm continually being nickeled and dimed about everything. That's Mm. true, right? Like, they won't stop telling me about all the things that they want me to get the money for. Um, And then on a different side, James Thompson says, iCloud has been very unreliable from a developer perspective since the autumn OS updates. This is something I wasn't really aware of, and James was telling me about it the other day, that there's been serious syncing problems with iCloud. Yeah, I actually, so I first um, heard about this through um, Becky Hansmeyer, I want to say. Yeah. Um, who's a, a developer and a great Twitter follow, by the way, because uh, it's uh, cute animals and uh, yarn and uh, and app development stuff. commentary. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great. It's like it's awesome. Um, Becky's so, Twitter account and show notes. <laughs> but she was complaining about how like she's got apps that re- rely on iCloud syncing. It's like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And um and and then that started um a bunch of Twitter uh, developer type people uh started tweeting about it. And it sounds like maybe they actually um bumped the jukebox and, and got Apple to be like, huh, what? Huh? Oh, uh. So that maybe since this survey was taken, I think maybe Apple is aware of the issue and has made a statement about it anyway maybe this is in process but yeah it was apparently iCloud was unreliable and any app that was syncing its data store with iCloud was getting errors and it was very frustrating for developers and I think that's it's funny because it used to be you just be of course but I I think this actually illustrates that that iCloud is much more of a solid product than it used to be and it's actually people are relying on it now so when something goes wrong they get really upset. It used to be when something went wrong with iCloud, you're like, look, it's iCloud. What do you expect? But I think they expect more now. And and that's good, but it, it, not great if it fails. This episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has you covered. By combining cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, they've made it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything that you need to create a beautiful and modern website of your own. You start with one of their wonderful professionally designed templates, which are really customizable as well. You can change the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more of just a few clicks. And I love how that feels. Like You can go through their gallery, choose what you want but then put your own flair onto it you know so it maybe matches the branding that you've got or maybe there's a particular font that you like to use and stuff you can do all of that with Squarespace and it's easy and what I also love is that when you're designing your site you're actually seeing it live and you're clicking around on the elements that you want to change it's not like you change some code in the background and press and save and then it like you know pops up somewhere like Obviously, I don't know how web development works. One of the reasons I've used Squarespace for over 10 years because it's so simple to do. You get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. You can register a domain name with Squarespace and take advantage of their SEO and email marketing tools as well to help grow your business. 
You can promote things online. You can publish your next blog post. You can uh, announce your businesses and you know maybe set up a store. You can use a portfolio. Whatever it is you want to put online, Squarespace has the tools that you need to make it a reality. So go to squarespace.com upgrade for a free trial with no credit card required. And you're in that trial. You can build your whole website. Then when you're ready to launch it to the world, use the offer code upgrade and you'll save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com upgrade. And when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade to get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of Upgrade and all of Relay FM. So we move into the doldrums of the home kit category. Oh, boo, boo, boo. D plus, 2.7, yes. down from 3.1. I gave it a one. This is my lowest score. Um, I don't understand what they're doing over there. I mean, honestly, it feels like they're doing nothing is what they're doing. Uh, and I genuinely hope that the reason is that they're working on something. Like that, that can yeah. be my only real hope with this. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two, um, but I agree with you. I, I use HomeKit stuff, and it works, but I also use HomeBridge to bridge it. I've had some HomeKit uh, weird HomeKit errors that I can't decide whether it's my network or HomeKit, but that's part of the problem is that it doesn't really tell you. Um, I do rely on uh, HomeKit for some stuff, and it does work for that stuff. Yep. I also like the fact that Apple is moving toward this system where they're going to have thread radios and everything, and then the Matter spec is coming out, but it's not out yet, and it wasn't out in 2021. So I think they're poised to maybe do more here, and that's good because there's not a lot here. Like they built that set, but what what to what end? <laughs> <laughs> and the, so, several people pointed out, I think it's Federico said, they have this HomePod mini, but it's not uh, a mini of anything because the old HomePod is gone and yep. the old HomePods are dying and there's nothing to replace them. So people who invested in the HomePod uh, architecture and system are like, well, what do I do now? Um it it again for a couple of years it's felt like apple was about to turn the corner on the home stuff and it hasn't happened yet also a lot of hate for the home app in there and i feel that the home yes. app is also not that great so i you know i i think this is really an interesting area where apple needs to decide are they really in this or are they just going to going to abandon it and let third parties integrate with you know with uh with matter and and deal with that but it's it's ugly it's an ugly category and it, I should also say, it, it, there was optimism in this category for a long time. It went up most years between 2015 and 2020 to uh -huh. a high of 3.1. Um, everybody's kind of come off their optimism in 2021, and it's back down. Uh, Allison Sheridan says, the home app really and truly needs to be redesigned from the ground up. Yep. Speaking of Apple apps that aren't yep. very good and that so need bad. attention. Yeah. Uh, Alex Cox says, HomeKit could position itself as the home OS for people who care about their privacy, but Apple needs a smart hub that's more robust and reliable than the HomePod Mini. They need one yeah. with a screen. That's what they need. We've well, said they need, I, I think Apple needs to make some products in this category, yeah. and they also need to make their home interface better. And who knows? Maybe there's a screen-bearing HomePod out there, and that part of that product is a redesign of the Home app, and it's all going to come together. The problem is, I think looking at the survey, like the, the panelists, I'm kind of over waiting for it. I hope they do it. But we've been waiting for some movement in that category for a long time. Hardware reliability got an A, 4.5 out of 5 again. Uh, I gave it a 4 because I have my particular 
bugbear about scratches on my iPhone screen. Uh, but overall, I feel like the all of the hardware that I'm using is you know is I have no big problems with it. Um, what would you grade this category as? This is tough because some people are doing like their personal experience with it, mm-hmm. and some of it it's like their observations of all of that. I do think that this year it really can only be. Uh, for, to knock it down to be personal experiences because there hasn't been like a a thing this year, you know? Like no yeah. gates. No gates. David Sparks pointed that out. No gates in 2021. Um, yeah, I'll I'll give it a four because nothing is so perfect. I, I actually, yeah, I can't decide whether this gives it, um, I, well, I thought about a five. I, I So the question, a lot of people mentioned the AirPod Pro um Replacement yeah, program. The, that's the, not the a 2021 thing. That's like a no, but it, it's thing. it's ongoing. Mine mine were replaced in 2021. But I think what I would say is when you've got a problem with a product and you, you go into the Apple Store and they just give you the new product, it's pretty good. Like yeah. I know it's uh, it's it's not just you're rolling in some customer service in there. In fact, one of the quotes that I thought was most interesting is um, Gabe Weatherhead said, "Apple Care is part of the hardware reliability. Yes. The hardware rarely fails, but when it does, I can be pretty confident that it's not the end of life because I have Apple Care and the new keyboards are nice. Everybody's still basking in the glow of killing all the butterfly keyboards, mm-hmm. and and that's all fine. But I do think there's something to be said. Apple Care is not always great, but um, it helps. And I I repaired two old um, butterfly keyboard era laptops this year too through Apple and was fairly happy with that process. So yeah, I think that the 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 AirPods replacement program really is like a should raise the score, not lower it because well when you do that you get a little bit of extra life out of your AirPod too because a bit more battery you know yeah I think I think you could judge it either way you could say it is a failure. Or you could say it's a success because they fixed their failure and you get new ones and that's I had someone tell me once recently, I don't remember what it was in relation to, uh, that apparently there was a revision to the AirPods Pro to stop this from happening at some point like the yeah issue. somebody we were talking about we were speculating about that and somebody said that they they seem to have made some sort of a, a change uh, midstream to try and prevent Stop this from continuing that. yeah because yeah. i think it was when we were talking about airpods pro 2 and i think that was one of the things i mentioned that maybe they yeah. would do something to stop the inevitable it is an actual inevitable failure basically of every airpod right. pro yeah. that it will Wait long enough at a certain point that one of the ears usually the right one but not always will start to rattle make like a rattling yeah. noise yep software quality B minus 3.4 down from 3.5. I gave this a four because I think that really, and Christina Warren put it so greatly earlier, compared to last year, this has been fine. What's funny is that the software quality score last year wasn't bad. Um, and it, it came down slightly from that after a big sort of like seesaw back and forth. Mm. Um, but you're right. It was, it was, uh, it, it you know, it was not, other than the Safari, you know, summer of Safari that happened. But that, that I don't have a problem with that because, like, it didn't come out. Exactly. You know? Like, that exactly. is a mark in, in, like, in its favor, I feel right. like, because Apple were listening to the feedback and they adjusted course quite a lot. Shortcuts, quality issues were not great. Yeah, Rosemary, Rosemary pointed that out. A couple of people did, but Rosemary said that shortcuts yeah. clearly needs extra support, which I agree with. Um, a bunch of people pointed out uh, Rosetta 2 
which basically just doing it and not like to go through a chip transition and essentially not worry about it. it it's that's that's an invisible but very impressive yep. bit of software engineering. Yeah, it's like we remember uh, the Intel transition and when you were downloading software, you would be very careful to check like, is this a universal binary? Am I get I do not ever think about this with the Apple Silicon transition. I don't care. Like, I'm assuming that at some point I'm going to get the Apple Silicon version, but if I have an Intel version, it does not matter. I can't tell, you know? So it's great. Yeah, I'm going to give it a three. Okay. And I'm being generous. Oh, wow. The stuff that I said before goes, there is too much Apple software that is covered in dust, Uh, and some of it is infested with bugs. And there are bugs. There are little bugs everywhere. I run into bugs all the time on my iPad. I run into them all the time on my iPhone. I run them all the time on my back. Uh, I can do my job. Um, I'm not, you know, my systems aren't aren't crashing and stuff usually, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh, plus, yeah, introducing shortcuts that was a that was a mistake to not label it a beta, and I appreciate that they fixed a lot of those issues. But uh, there was there was a lot going on there. Like I, I want to pat them on the back for their OS update being not cataclysmic, but geez, that is not a high bar. Like, good job, you shipped an OS that didn't that, that people aren't avoiding, which, you know, if you talk to a lot of administrators that Big Sur, they kind of avoided it. A lot of people avoided it. Um, and then they're embracing Monterey. Oh, you know why you know why it wasn't so bad last year? Because thirteen was even worse. iOS thirteen was even worse than iOS fourteen. Yeah. So. Yeah. So so I can't give them a higher score than this because of all the stuff around the edges. If this was OS quality, I might give it a little bit higher. But like even then the OS or or OS update experience or something like that. But like Apple has a Apple has a software problem. I think Apple has a software problem at its core. It it is not able to maintain the software that it thinks it needs to have on its platforms at an acceptable level. And it's really only got two decisions to make there. It either needs, well, I guess, and then the non-decision. It either needs to abandon things and say, we're not going to do this anymore. Or it needs to pay people to do the work. Imagine, like, I know that Apple software is not indie software. Like, not even close. But like, I can't imagine that Apple couldn't afford to hire and build some small teams that stay on a product, show it. And I know they do this for some products, right? Stay on a product, show it love, are always thinking about the next thing and have a trajectory to it like Shortcuts actually does. And like sometimes I see that from notes and reminders um, in some areas, not in others. But like every Apple product, if you're going to have it, somebody should care about it. And be pushing it forward all the time. And I get the sense that if there is somebody assigned to some of these products, they're not allowed to put time into it. They have to do some other stuff instead. Or they're understaffed. They don't have the people required to do it. So the the other option is the inaction option, which is what they where they are, which is stuff just lays there. And um, the problem is that when Apple has products in their operating system especially, it, it dissuades anyone else from... Uh, building a product like it because Apple already built it. Even if it's no good or old or updated, there's always the threat that Apple's going to come in strong and blow you out of the water. So mm. uh, I, I, I think it's a it's been like this for a decade now and it's not gotten any better. And I think it's one of the areas that Apple really needs to improve on is um, are you in or are you out? And if you're in, um, fund it. Fund people to do it. And I don't care where they are. They don't need to be in Cupertino for some small app that's on a couple of platforms. Put them in Pittsburgh. Put them in Cleveland. I don't care. Put them, put them in 
Ottawa, put them in Mexico City, put them in Tokyo, put them in uh, Copenhagen. Like, I literally don't care. <laughs> Just put them somewhere and say, you know what? The only app you care about is this app and make it better every year. Um, and I just don't feel if they're if that is their current strategy, something is wrong with it because it's not showing. Developer relations C minus two point eight down from three point one. I'd like to refer you to our previous conversation. Yeah, yeah <laughs> earlier I wish, in this episode. I mean, I gave it a two. Uh, I would have given it a one, right? Like if this news would have come out before that we were talking about earlier. But my comments is the same. Basically, like I just feel like at this point. Apple would prefer to fight in court every single developer rather than give up their 30%. And I don't understand why they want to go to this trouble realistically. I feel like as you, you know, you so rightly put and you put it today, I think I can understand why Apple specifically are this way, but at the same time can't understand why anyone in their position would do this. Like I understand you would do this if you were a company that really needed the money but they just don't, and I don't understand what the the point is anymore. Well, and it's not just a matter of like, do they need the money? Well, of course they're a corporation. The, the issue is that they're taking huge risks and alienating people for money that probably isn't worth it. At least from the outside looking at it, it's like, why is this the thing that you're doing no, they to make everybody they don't need angry the money? They do not need the money because there's a bunch of stuff that goes into the iPhone that costs them money that they don't charge people for, right? Yeah. Like, and but this is one thing where they feel like they have to and I don't understand why. I'm going to give this a 2. Mm-hmm. And and the I was actually vacillating between a 3 and a 2 and here's why. Everything we've said before is about Apple saying essentially we want to we want to suck as much money out of developers as possible. We they owe us for building this wonderful platform. And as I've said before, Apple owes them for building the iPhone and iPad to being what they are. And yet it doesn't give a percentage of its revenue back to them. So um, maybe uh, lighten up a little bit. Um, and and arguing in court things that make developers look and feel bad is also unpleasant. The reason I'm giving it two is, and this is something that James Thompson mentioned, Actually, the group inside Apple that's not involved in legal issues and is working on virtual WWDCs, the new tech talk system, ways of integrating Mm -hmm. without having people in person, ways of communicating between um, people at Apple and the developers... They've done a lot of really good work there, like so good that it, it, it actually helps me think that WWDC will never be what it was before. And if they do anything ever again, it'll be like a media event. And we talked about that before. It'll be like a the keynote will become a media event in Cupertino, but they're never going to get the developers together again because they've been building some stuff that everything I hear is good about it. Now that said, there are also all of the, as I think Casey List mentioned at one point, there are all of the documentation problems. Um, there, there are lots of other issues going on here that, 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 um, draw it down the the fact that the store is we need the money because we need to patrol the store and yet there's lots of scammy apps in stores while developers get in trouble and get their apps rejected and then these scammy subscription apps just slide on in and knock off apps like uh, apple not doing its job that it's supposedly getting the money for all of that is bad 
Um, the reason I'm giving it a two instead of a one is mostly that little glimmer, which is there's part of Apple that's actually, I think, doing right by developers and is building something that will be will be good on an ongoing basis and shows that there's some hope on that part on all the other parts it's bad that's why i think it's a 2.8 cuz like that point 8 is people like james people like rich siegel who said a similar thing it's like yeah the people i work with at apple about this stuff yeah. are doing a good job <laughs> and it so it helps raise the score because for me as somebody who does not deal with anyone at apple who in this part of the organization at all i only see what they choose to put out in the world and the face that they paint to the world is their ugliest face when it comes to this stuff, I think. Yeah, as uh, Paul Kafasa said, Apple can afford to be magnanimous, yet they're being tight-fisted. Yep. Yuck. Yep, yep. Social and societal impact is the uh, final category in the scorecard. I know this seems like a weird category, but over the years, Apple Apple always talks about holding itself to a higher standard and believing in lots of things and wanting to make the world a better place. There are always controversies about Apple, whether it's about their uh, factories or how they treat their workers around the world or their work from home policies or the there, there's so much that goes in here. And that's why I keep a real light touch on it and just say social and societal impact, because I feel like Apple... Mm. Apple brought this up. <laughs> Apple talks about it, wants to make the world a better place, et cetera, et cetera. So let's see how they're doing. And this is a score that has gone down almost every year. It went up a little bit last year. It's back down this year. It's trended down um, the entire time I've been running the survey. And this is the one that you very rightly call a Rorschach test, right? You see, yeah. You, you, see, you see in it what people put. Um, I gave them a four. And then after I read the comments, I wished I would have scored it down a bit more. I think I was too generous. I think I would have preferred to go with a three. Um, basically, the corporate culture stuff around working from home, I hadn't really considered in this category. As you say, rather right. people put in this what they want. And I feel like I would have wanted that I would have, I want to see change there. We spoke about it on the show in the past. Um, and so I would have maybe put this at a three if I would have considered that in this too. Because, uh, you know, I grade them, you know, for their environmental stance and they've been doing um, more uh, charitable stuff this year. There's a lot of work to be done in a lot of areas still. So I, this is one where I feel like I always want to try and grade them harshly on. But I had completely forgotten something that was important to me for this one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I would grade this. I guess I'll give it a three, but I, I think really that three represents the great dichotomy here, which mm -hmm. is Apple has made some great commitments to green energy. Um, they've invested in lots of important social issues. Um, they're, they're like, they are, even if you look at, ch at the Chinese manufacturing stuff, like you could look at that and say, Apple relies on low-paid, uh, mistreated Chinese workers. Potentially, some of their subcontractors are using um, potentially even um, slave labor. It's very controversial, but it's possible. Um, you know, big question mark there. You could also look at it and say Apple's insistence on certain standards in its factories and in its contractors' factories in China has actually changed the standards and that they are changing the culture and standards of those factories because they don't want that kind of abuse of workers at the factories that are supplying Apple. Um, so 
it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. It, like, it, are they? Is it good that they are changing things? Is it bad that the things are bad? It's complicated. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. The we talked about it here a lot. I, I think they don't they don't uh, treat their people as well as they should. And it doesn't mean that I agree with everything that's come out in leaks and all of that about it. But I think that their commitment to their work from home policy and forcing people back in the office and having a bunch of people uh, live and work in Cupertino, um, even for jobs that don't require it, that really don't require it. Some of them do. A lot of them don't. Um, I'm disappointed that they aren't showing more flexibility, but if there's anything we know about Apple, it's got a very strong, powerful corporate culture that gets reinforced. And this is not in their culture. This is, they, they have come a long way from Steve Jobs demanding that James Thompson move to California, um, or, or lose his job. Um, they, they do have people who work remote in all sorts of places, um, either by themselves or in teams in different cities. That said, this seems to have been a bridge too far for Apple's corporate culture, and that's too bad. I like what you said about the China thing. John Syracuse was saying, Apple's reliance on China for its manufacturing continues to limit how much good Apple can, is able to do in the world, which is, uh, I think people bring to that what they want to bring to that. Alex Cox says, uh, I hope management is having a wake-up call when it comes to their corporate culture. If it wants to retain talent, they need to be more cognizant of their employees' growing concerns uh, over their own working conditions. Yeah. And so I think that's the, that's the scorecard. That's it. That's, we've, we've issued our report card grades. They're in. They range from bad to good. Good to good to see the trends. Good to see what people are feeling. Again, I think people who read and uh, listen to podcasts about Apple will not be surprised by these results because, in mm-hmm. fact, I think they are reflecting the general tenor of the conversation for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do is like let's get that down and say this is the general tenor of the conversation for the last year. So, yeah. Uh, late breaking news for finish the show. Um, the uh, Dutch regulation authority that's part of this whole, uh, it's called the ACM, uh, they ch- they've fined Apple again uh, okay. <laughs> for not uh, fully implementing the system and they've said that they are disappointed in Apple's behavior and actions, they said in a statement, mm, but could not comment beyond its public statements on whether a 27% commission would be consistent with its order, but then followed up by saying that they are disappointed. They're not angry, Apple. They're just disappointed. They're just disappointed. I don't think they're going to date you. I don't think so. Mm-mm. There's no Dutch love there. No, none. Zero. Uh, we didn't do Ask Upgrade this week. Ask Upgrade will be back next week because uh, we would have been here forever, I think. Yep. <laughs> Otherwise. And I'm worried that Jason's voice has got mere seconds left on it. Better Thank than ever think. now. I don't know. Oh. We could go another five hours. All right. You ready to go? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you would like to send in a question for us next week, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord. Uh, if you would like to get longer, ad-free episodes of Upgrade every single week, go to GetUpgradePlus.com. Dot com and you can sign up $5 a month, $50 a year, uh, and you'll help support the show, getupgradeplus.com. Uh, thank you so much to our sponsors of this week's episode. That is Memberful, Squarespace, Fitbod, and Bombus. 
if you want to find Jason online, if you want to read the, there's so much more to the the scorecard. I recommend people go and read it, uh, go and skim over so many of the great comments. We didn't even, I had way more that I wanted to pull in today's episode that we just wouldn't have time to pull in. So you should go read them for yourself. Uh, go to sixcolors.com and you can find that along with lots of work from Jason and Dan and many more. Uh, you can find Jason online. He is at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade, and we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Bye, everybody. Bye.